Ready then. <laughs> you want to introduce anything or you want to make sure to admit everybody? Yeah. Okay, you're good. We're good to start. All right. Sina tells me we're good to start. I'm used to an introduction and a whole thing, but we're not doing the introductions. And uh, first of all, uh, I'll do a bit of an introduction. I, I, I first want to speak to the people that are present in physical form. Selim Elohim in front of me. Um, first of all, welcome to Lauderdale Road Synagogue. You're in the library of the Safari Center here. Uh, this is where the Ma'amad or the board normally meets. Um, and where it is that we give shiru, we give many shiurim here. So it's wonderful to be able to sit with you in person, in physical presence. There's nothing matches physical presence. And so it's wonderful to be with you here and welcome. Um, and to all of you that are there on Zoom, bruchim abayim, welcome to the first uh, shiur class uh, that is the, inaugurate, the inauguration or the maiden uh, discussion in what Sina calls uh, membership mode. And uh, essentially what that means is that this is, this is the first of our, our series of courses of learning, of, of study um, in a membership format, meaning that the people that are here have committed themselves both uh, mentally, physically, and financially to be engaged in this study. And so there is something that you're giving in to this that is a stake of your own uh, commitment. Um, so what we're going to be doing tonight, uh, and I really do, if I could, I would welcome each and every single one of you individually, because each and every single one of you that, are, that is here is, is uh, a tremendous beracha. It's a tremendous beracha. So I'm very honored to be able to share uh, the Torah with you tonight. And to be able to have the great zechut of, of opening this amazing uh, endeavor that we're all embarking on together. I do want to thank again Sina and Avi for all of their work that, uh, that has brought this to fruition, to its place. And for that matter, all of the others that have lent their hand to being able to, see, to make this something that is successful and uh, something that people can genuinely engage with and connect to. I mean, you know, recently they opened the, the Discord app and all of the discussion that's happening there and this is really i mean you know you, you look at this and you recognize when the hachamim said a person is supposed to say that the world was created for me i mean uh, there's no greater expression of that than being able to use all of the wonderful technologies and formats and interfaces that we have in order to be able to be magdil torah and to be able to achieve our mission statement and tonight the shiur is about our mission statement um, why it is that, you know, we kind of set this uh, point as our goal, because that's what a mission statement is. It's our mission, right? What are we out? What are we aiming to do with regards to this? Now, the truth of the matter is, is that we really didn't have much choice in terms of our mission statement, because Harambam already explained what the mission statement is. And we're just taking that, you know, we're picking that up and we're trying to be able to achieve that in the best way that we can. So we can sit and pontificate on how it is that we came to this. But the reality is I came to this mission statement because it's what we're supposed to be uh, engaging in as our mission. So we're going to look at that tonight. We're going to look at that in layers. The bulk of the shiur tonight will be uh, a look at a, you know, a very central uh, presentation of the Morena Nebuchim. Uh, so it will be textual. We're going to be reading a significant amount of the Morena Nebuchim. So what I will do when I get to the Moreh, 
although all of you have the uh, link for the sources and you can pull it up on your phones, on your computers and so on and so forth. When I get to the more, I will share the screen with the uh, text of the more. So it'll be up here for you on the screen if you want to read it with me. And for you up there, it'll be on your screen there if you want to read it that way. So without further ado, we're going to get started. We're going to get started. Good. Um, so at the top of the at the top of the source sheet, I have the mission statement, and the mission statement is that we are a, a virtual and physical bit midrash with international students, which is all true so far because we are virtual and physical with international students. So so far we're not lying. Um, but the bolded part of the mission statement is this: striving to know God by embracing the world through the lens of Torah. So it's important to recognize that the central aspect of the mission statement is not the end, right? Not embracing the world through the lens of Torah. That's a wonderful and exciting endeavor, but that is not the goal. The goal is to know God. That's our goal. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is an aspect of what it is that that means. And we will look at why it is that we strive to know God through the, the world, right? Through embracing the world from a lens of Torah. Why is that? The mode or the manner in which we come to know God. And that's it. That's all we're going to do tonight. Um, so I hope not to disappoint if you were thinking we would do anything more. But I will be thrilled if we come out of tonight having a real good understanding of this. Everything else that we do. Everything else that we do, everything else that you will learn, everything else that will be presented, that you will, you will uh, you know, unpack, will be some form of this. It'll be, it will have something to do with your endeavor of knowing HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of knowing God, through embracing His world. The lens of the Torah will also be something that we develop, because we don't assume that you just happen to have a lens of Torah in your pocket that you pick up and you look through in order to be able to know. We're going to have to develop that as well. We have to understand what is the lens of the Torah. We'll build that lens through which we can look. We'll understand the nature of birit, of covenant in all of this, because why are we coming to know God in the first place if there isn't this sense of covenant, right? The sense of relationship. So the, these are, this is the fundamental foundation and building block. We are essentially going to only use Harambam tonight outside of the Torah itself in terms of this, because he is our ultimate guide. And we make no qualms about that. I mean, Harambam is definitely our ultimate guide. His vision, his teaching, his framework, his expression and understanding, his, his whole milieu of Torah and mitzvot uh, and so on, is our primary, our primary teacher. He's our primary base. Everybody else comes after him. And so he is the pie, he's the captain of the ship, so to speak. And so we're only going to be listening to him tonight. And whatever it is, and, uh, you know, I can do to be able to help facilitate his, his words, give some perspective to them in whatever capacity I can. And if I make any mistakes, I hope uh, they won't be too terribly significant if I do. We're going to open up with a uh, portion of the Mishneh Torah, which is the mission statement. Right, Harambam presents the ultimate mission statement for any person, member of Israel that is that is studying, and he says as follows: Adam, a human being needs to libo 
וכל מעשיו, כולם, לדעת השם ברוך הוא, בלבד. So very emphatic words, right? Arambam doesn't use words for no reason, and here he has added several words to establish an emphatic statement. And the emphatic statement is that every human being needs to aim his heart, right? Yechaven libo literally means to aim his heart, meaning what are we zeroing in on in terms of my mind, my heart? Bechol ma'asav and all of his deeds. And then he says again, kulam. So in case you thought any of them are not part of this, think again. It's not just when I say kol ma'asav, I'm not using a euphemism. I'm telling you everything, all of it, the entirety of what you do, must be aimed at one thing and one thing only, ledaat Hashem Baruch Hu, bilvad. Bilvad means with no writing agents. So that is as emphatic as you get. Harambam is saying in no uncertain terms that the entire mission of our lives, the entire mission of our lives is one thing, to know God. That means not just in terms of what I think, but in terms of what it is that I do, all of it in its entirety is to know God. And nothing else. Bilvad means, and that's it. There are no other aims. Anything else is a sub-aim to that aim. So somehow, whatever else it is that I'm doing has to be a, in a sub-aim that ultimately leads to that aim. I've italicized that opening uh, paragraph. I've made it into a paragraph because the rest is only an explanation of that. We may or may not come back to that. I encourage you to read the rest of it. But Harambab goes on to say, this really means everything. Your sleep, your exercise, your sex, your eating, everything, 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 everything. All of it needs to be aiming to God. And he explains how. And then all of a sudden he goes in and starts talking about, look, you need to eat in order to be able to be healthy. Yeah, but I thought I need to eat in order to be able to know God. Yeah, well, you need to be healthy to know God. Well, I thought, you know, you need to rest so that you have a well-rested body. So, yeah, well, I thought I'm resting. No, yeah, you need a well-rested body in order to know God. Right? You can't know him. You're sick. I mean, that's obviously a massive impediment. You have to ensure that you don't have an impediment. So he goes through all of it. And he expects that you extrapolate anything else to this framework that he presents. And he says again, you're sitting, standing, speaking. What does that mean? It means all, what else do you do as you being? You're either sitting or you're standing or you're speaking. What else are you going to do? Right? You're either resting or you're active or you're engaged in speech. All of it and every form of it. Hakol, all of it. Notice how many times he says hakol in this little paragraph. Hakol, kulam, hakol, all of it. Le'umat ze hadavar. What does that mean? Le'umat ze hadavar means opposite this thing. So when he says you aim your heart, your aim is over across from you. Your heart and your deeds are across from you. If we were to look at it in a figuratively physical sense, in a spatial sense. And he says, therefore, everything that you do must be opposite that aim. Right? So our positioning in a theoretical or figuratively spatial description must be constantly opposite. I can't look anywhere else other than that aim. So anything other than that, right, to look anywhere else, to aim anywhere else, 
is off the mission. And it means that we're, we're not on task. Or as they say here in Britain, one of my favorite terms is you've lost the plot. And if you've lost the plot, you're serving something else, doing something else, engaging in something else, and you have to recalculate, redirect. And that happens. That's okay. That happens. It will happen for all of us that we will veer from the aim. And little by little, the more that we train ourselves, the more we will stay on task. But it happens that we veer from the aim. And when you veer from the aim, without killing yourself, without shame, without guilt, without personal beratement, you refocus. Just refocus. And that means there always has to be a questioning, certainly in the beginning, when this doesn't become natural, right, for a person. And it does. It can become natural. It can become like, obviously, I have no, I'm not thinking of anything else but knowing God. And it informs everything that I do, right? Uh, when it becomes that way, it's wonderful. But until it does, there will be a series of situations in which a person veers and has to be able to bring themselves back. Okay? So that, therefore, uh, you recognize that Harambam really didn't give us any other options. If we would have made any other mission statement, we'd be off target. So in the mission statement is the halacha bet peregimal of Chodron. Because Hanabam says there's nothing else to do. There is really no other endeavor. Clear on that. Okay, so I'm not going to read the rest of it now. If we have any time afterwards, we can unpack it a bit. But I encourage you to read. But this is the opening point. Good. So if that's the case, then we have to talk about knowing God. Right? What is it to know God? I'm not going to read the rest of this halakha because what Harambam does, he says, look, you need to be able to get rest so that you are healthy enough to know God. That's already a step away. What I want to do tonight is talk about what is this knowing God? What are, we, what are we looking at? How do I do that? Especially when I have a God that is not physical, doesn't have any attributes and so on and so forth in his inherent form. So let's look. So the first thing that we'll look at is a halakha in Yesodea Torah. It's a very famous halakha, at least in terms of my circles, because I read it all the time, teach it all the time. There are very many source sheets that always have this halakha on it. Interestingly, though, it does not talk about knowing God. It talks about loving God. What we're going to find is that to know him is to love him. And that knowing God and loving God is intimately interconnected. And you'll see how we develop this, right? But let's look at what loving God is about. Yeah. So Hanambam says in Hilchot Yesodea Torah Bet Bet. He says, first of all, not recorded here in the source sheets. He opens and he says, there is a mitzvah to love God. Right? We have to love God. As we say over and over again, every twice a day in the Kriyat Shema, there's a mitzvah to love God. Then he says, and what is the way that a person achieves this love? Right? How do you love? What is the way to love? He also includes here Yir'ah. The reverence slash fear of God. We're not going to get into the depths of that at the moment. We're looking at the select things that we can run through a line of thought for this year. Right? Again, I encourage you, study 
the bit. But this is what Arambam says about love. He says, At the time that a person, at the time that a person, when a person contemplates the works, the deeds, the creations of God, wondrous and great, and in those things you see the wisdom of the Creator in them. And you see she'en la'erech velokets. It's this unbound wisdom, right? This, uh, this, this bottomless, never-ending, infinite wisdom. Miyad hu ohev. You immediately fall in love. You immediately love. Um shabeach, um fa'er, um you also immediately find yourself moved to praise, to beautify, to show its beauty, speak of its beauty, and you yearn. There is a yearning, not just any yearning, you have this deep, powerful yearning. To know the great name. Now, it's very interesting that he says that here, that he refers to what you want to know by seeing the creation as the name. Literally, right? The great name. He doesn't say, which he says in other places. Here he says the name. So keep that in your head, because that's not a mistake, obviously. It's not a mistake, right? But he's doing this on purpose. He's not saying you immediately love, you have this desire to know, right? You want to know the name for some reason. Whatever it is that that means, contemplate what that might mean in your mind. We'll see if we... If we find, you know, uh, that you were thinking in tandem. So there's this deep desire that comes about, right? And the way that I kind of, you know, an analogy that I use for this very often is, is if you question this, question what your response is to an artist that moves you this way. Right? Because what we're talking about is God's art, aren't we? We're talking about God's creativity. God's creative output, literally, is what we're talking about. So imagine a human being, right? I mean, we're, we're stepping it down drastically. And imagine a human being who has put out some creative output into this world, and it has come to you, and you have experienced it, and been moved by it. Think of, think of one, think of one. In your mind, you don't have to share it. Just think of one human being, alive or dead. They don't have to be alive. Alive or dead. Who has had creative output in this world. Creative simply means they have created something. Right? That has influenced you, impacted you. Think about how it is that you feel about that individual. It's not elective. This is immediate. It's, it's an emotive thing. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a natural immediate response. What do you want to do for that individual? First of all, you feel like you know that individual on a certain level because they've shared something very personal. You can tell when it's something that's personal, when it's something that's utilitarian. Hold that because we're going to have to come back to that as well. right? In other words, that you recognize or you feel that it's an expression of the person rather than some external mechanical construct that the person has put together, yes? And so 
What do you feel? What is your response when you experience something like that? Do you not want, do you not praise the person? Sure, you, do. you become a fan, right? You still praise that person. Do you not feel a connection to that person, even though you've never met them before? Yes, you do, strangely enough. Oddly enough, you want to even be able to have an opportunity, if you could, to tell that person what it is that they've done for you, how they've impacted you. And it's so powerful, a drive in human beings. This is what creates lunatic fans. Literally, it's the only thing. This is what creates lunatic fans. Somebody's put out some kind of creative thing into the world, and people, whatever, they personalize it, idolize it, they take it in off the deep end, but these are the core elements of it. And there is only one entity that you are allowed to be a lunatic fan for, and that's God. Because what you have to recognize is that any other individual that you are feeling that way about is his creation. He did that thing. He did that person, right? He made Harambam. So when you read Harambam, you think this man is an absolute genius. He has completely changed my entire life, right? You realize, well, hold on a minute. And there's this beautiful Midrash, which I didn't put on here. There's a beautiful Midrash by Adam Arishon which says that Adam Rishon was so powerful and great. I mean, this, this human being, the splendor of the human and all of the animals of the, of the garden wanted to praise him and, and bow to him and so on. And what Adam Rishon does, you know, in his goodness, you know, his good, good side, he sometimes gets a bad rap, Adam Rishon. He said, until, until you praise me, before you praise me, praise the one who made me. Right, so this is just an analogy. You can come in... You can, you can come into the framework. You can come into the mindset of it, which is extremely, extremely So Arambam is essentially saying to know him is to love him. And how do you know him? From his output, from his creative output. He says it more explicitly. At the end of this line, if you take, if you skip down, so that, that paragraph, right? You just skip to that, down to the paragraph. And he says, Based on these things, I am going to help you love God by explaining, right? I'm going to go through many of the things that the creator of the world has done, the master of the world has done. So that I can... And this is a beautiful statement. I cannot tell you how beautiful this statement is. So that there can be an opening for you to love the name. What? What is that? So there can be an opening for you. The reason is because people read this and people who don't know that. I had to give you an analogy. The reason is because people contrary to popular belief, are not necessarily open to love. Shocker. But they aren't. Because we're so damn guarded all the time. And we're not vulnerable enough to allow things to move us this way. And that's one of the reasons why fans become so self-absorbed, because they can't actually recognize this is a wholesome interconnection. It's all about me and my needs and how I want to own this thing and, and so on. And so what Harambam is saying is that I'm going to explain these things to you to open you up to the possibility of loving. 
you should be able to just experience these things directly in real time. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down in this safe space here in our little bit. I'm going to start talking to you about these things. I'm going to open these things to you. As I open these things to you, I hopefully you will open to being able to have actual love. All right. So he says this. Now he says further, as the Hachamim said, this is not direct in the words that he's quoting, by the way, and this is actually a questionable source. We'll see in a minute. But nonetheless, he says the Hachamim said this in the framework of the love of God. And what they said were in the, in the midst of speaking of the love of God, that from studying his works, from experiencing his deeds, from that, Atamakir, you come to recognize. He doesn't say no, right? Makir is a very particular word. It's not atamakir. You recognize. The one who spoke and the world came into existence. That one. You'll come to recognize him. So Hamim says, particularly in terms of Harambam sources, Rabbi Meir. Rabimir said that when you look at the works of Akadosh Baruch from doing that, atamakir, you come to recognize the one who spoke and created the world. And he says this explicitly in a letter. A letter. In which they ask Harambam a series of questions. This letter is from, uh, I, I put it the, the page number down in the Shevat edition right, of the Igrot of Harambam. I typed this one out because it's. I, I wanted to present it to you so much that uh, you know I couldn't find it online. So I typed this out for you. So if there's any mistakes, it's because of my typing. And they ask Karambam, you know, it says in the Gemara that a person should be mehashev tekufot mazalot. First of all, he wants to know what does that mean? That a person who can calculate tekufot and mazalot, whatever it is that that means, right? You know, uh, seasons and you know the astronomical movements of the earth and stars and so on. And how it is that they manifest. It's not astrology, it's like astronomy, how this, these things function in relation to the earth. Anybody who knows how to do that, right, and doesn't do it, is in the wrong. They're missing something. They say it more severe in the Gemara, but this is what they're bringing up. And so they're asking Harambam the following question, right? They ask Harambam, first of all, what does it mean when it says a person who knows how or who knows how to be what does it mean that they know how that's first of all and second of all and more importantly this is the reason i'm bringing this particular uh letter is they say and another thing is what's the point of it okay so i'm spending time figuring out all of these calculations what's the big what's the point of it right my means literally what what's the outcome what's in it for 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 me if i do that so Rambam explains it to Kuvot Mazlom, not getting into that. In the bolded point, he says, Ve'omnam omrechem. He goes, look, that's what Tukufot, you know, the person, what we mean by person Tukufot Mazlom. But what you say, what's going to come out of the fact that you know how to calculate these things, that you have a better understanding about the nature of the astronomical movements of the stars in the sky in relation to the earth and its function and effects on our seasons and, and everything else that they affect on the earth. Kvar bi'er bi'meir b'baraita. Rabbi Meir already explained that in the Baraita, in which he says, Look at his deeds. And this is what he just quoted in the Mishneh Torah. Because from that, That is how you come to know 
God. To know him is to love him, but to know him is through looking at what he's put out. What has he put out? The universe. That's his creative output. All of it, not part of it, not some of it, all of it, all of it. You with me? Okay. I'm going to skip the next source for now. I only put in the source after that, which is a selection from Merachim, which talks about Shalomu HaMelech. And it says about Shalomu HaMelech that he was basically a big David Attenborough of his time. (laughs) Basically what it says about him. He was the David Attenborough of his time, and people were so enthralled. As much as they liked David Attenborough, they used to come to like to listen to Shalom HaMelech. It says about Shalom HaMelech, The wisdom of Shalom was greater than all of the wise men of the East. And all of the wisdom of Egypt, which were quite advanced. He became wiser than all of mankind at the time, all of humankind. They were pretty famous, you know, there were Einsteins of the time. They list, he was smarter than Einstein. Right? He was smarter than Etana Izrahi, Vehiman, Vichalkol, these famously wise people. were very famous because of his wisdom. Three thousand proverbs he wrote, he spoke, right? Ways of relating to reality in the world and life and so on and so forth in pithy, succinct lines. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why quotes are so powerful because they take ideas that otherwise people, so one person will say in a paragraph, and you say it in a line and you get it and you just hold it and it's beautiful and elegant, right? People sometimes translate this based on a particular midrash that he spoke to the trees, but that's not the pshat. The Peshat is that he spoke about the trees. By the bear, what did he speak about? He spoke about the trees. Mina'er is Asher Lebanon from the cedars of Lebanon. Ad Ha'ezob to the bushes. Asher Bakir that grow out of the Kotel Amaravi, right? Those bushes that grow out of the walls. By the bear, not only that, he spoke about not only the flora, but the fauna. Right? I mean, if you didn't have National Geographic, you bought a ticket to a lecture for from Spoke about the animals and the off and the and the flying creatures, all the creepy crawlies and the fish and the, of the sea. Spoke about all of it. Well, why? What is he wasting his time for? This is the king that built the Beit HaMikdash? You can't you have anything better than to do than to give constant science classes or nature classes. They all came to hear him. They all came to listen to him. One thing to know about the nature, about the time of Shilamo HaMelech, it is, it's the only time in Jewish history that the Jewish people were genuinely recognized as the leaders of the known world at the time without any anti-Semitism. Because they were fully and completely in themselves. There was no shame, no guilt, no self-hatred, no deficiency, no none of that. And that is, was in no small part to Shalom HaMelech. But that's just a little tidbit in there as this kind of a spice in the middle of things, just to have an idea, right? Not, not really there to prove much. Okay. Good. Buckle your seatbelts. We're going to dive into the Moreh. 
it's in this more that we really unpack everything that we've set up until now. It really drives it home in a way that really is unmatched. And in my opinion, and I'm only speaking for me, in my life, in my experience, in my learning, there is nothing more powerful than this piece of the Morin Nebuchim to drive all of this home, to really explain what it is that we mean by knowing Kadosh Baruch. And again, that's the name of the game. The whole name of the game is knowing him. That is the whole depth. Nothing else. Nothing else. So Haram Bam says as follows. He, he opens up with this episode, right? There is an episode. What is the episode? The episode is during the uh, debacle of the golden calf. So this is a very interesting episode. Because on the one hand, God, uh, you know, at one moment is ready to annihilate the people, literally, right? Literally wipe them out and start with Moshe. And on the other hand, Moshe reaches some of the most intimate personal high level connections with god as a result of that whole that whole situation and he finds himself in a very tender place with akadosh baruch Hu post the sin right he's gone up and he's asked forgiveness for the people he's he's negotiated uh, clemency for the people with akadosh baruch Hu, at least in the way that akadosh, that the torah presents it to us moshe is negotiating with god Arguing with him. Kadosh Baruch Hu agrees to not annihilating them. He agrees to, I mean, he agrees to more than he has ever really agreed in one session, like in one set of meetings at this point, which in and of itself is worth studying, right? Why and how and whatever it is. But really, I mean, the concessions that God makes as a result of the, the golden calf it, are staggering. But that's for another, another shoe. Part of this is Moshe finds himself in a very, like I said, tender, intimate space with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As a result of HaKadosh Hu agreeing through Moshe's negotiations to forgive the people, Moshe, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's ag- uh, agreement to walk with the people through the mud, even when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is ready, to, whose first response is, okay, I won't annihilate them, but I'm not walking with these people. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, Call me when you get there. I don't know. I'll send. I'll send some. You know, sentinels, and you know, he'll, he'll, he'll walk with you. I'm. I'm not walking with these people. I'm God, for goodness' sakes. I don't do that kind of thing. No, no. Sorry, you're going to have to walk with us. Hello, you're going to trudge with us through the mud, whether you like it or not. And if you're not going to, oh, by the way, and if you don't, we're not leaving either. You're talking about sending, uh, you know, messengers uh, to walk with us. You were assuming that we're going to walk away. We're not walking away. We'll stay right here unless you do walk with us. Okay. Okay, Moshe. Fine. I'll do that too. And so out of that negotiation, Yom Kippur is created. Depending on how you look at the timeline, the Mishkan is established. A day a year in order to be able to wipe away all their filth. Literally, that's, I mean, that's the only solution. I mean, they're going to be piling filth on. You want me to sit and trudge through the filth indefinitely? I'm going to need to set up a day where I can wipe away the filth. Fine. So Moshe is good. So let's do that. Right? We'll have a Yom Kippur. Fine, Yom Kippur. Otherwise, it says later on in Sefer Vayikra, the Kodosh Baruch Hu is He lives with them in their filth. 
It's unheard of. It's nuts. Nobody would take this for granted that this is just normal. It was not part of the program. Moshe negotiates that. It makes that part of the program. In that discussion, like I said, is tremendous intimacy, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu takes, the, takes advantage of it. And he moves into deeper intimacy with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he asks HaKadosh Baruch Hu for two things. First thing that he asks for is, he says, look, I really need to know you better. So he says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he says, Hodiani na derechecha. He says, please make known to me your ways. And through that, I will know you. The other thing that he asks HaKadosh Hu, he, he gets an answer, right? He gets that, and the response to that is the affirmative. HaKadosh Baruch Hu agrees to respond to that in the affirmative. Moshe then asks him, show me your glory. Which according to the Hachamim means, and Harabam brings this, means I want to know you in your essence. I want to know your essential being. To that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, look, if you want to know that, you'll have to say goodbye. You can't be alive in human form and know anything near that, right? Sorry. But I can help give you some kind of consolation prize <laughs> for not being able to give you that. You know, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and so on. So we're going to study that, because in that, obviously, is where we're going to understand what it means to know God, because Moshe says, in other words, through through showing me your derachim, that's how I'll know you. So that's a tremendous key that the Torah is presenting to us in teaching us what it means to know God. It's not just unique to Moshe Rabbeinu. It may be that the level of Moshe is unique, but it's telling us this is how you know God. I mean, you know, as a human being, so what you do. So Harambam unpacks this, and that's what we need to understand here. So let's listen very carefully. Here you need focus. Walk with me. Do you want to put this up on the... Uh, can you put this, this up on the... Uh, share the screen so that uh, those online and those... In case anybody wants to this. Good, and then we'll bring this down. Okay. Da. I love when Harambam opens with that. It's like, no, right? He always does that. Da. He goes, no. Kiraban shil. This, by the way, is the translation of Rav Kafeh, which is the only version I really feel comfortable reading. The master of all prophets, as Harambam calls him in the Mishneh Torah as well, Moshe Rabbeinu, he asked for two requests from God. He got answered. He got answers for both of them. One answer was yes, one answer was no, basically, right? The first question was, the first request was, the one thing that he asked him was to know his essential truth of his being, right? Of God's being. His etim, his right? His, his actual existence. Whatever it is that that means. And the second, right? I'm presenting it to you out of order. Moshe asked the second question first. 
And that was he asked him to know his attributes, his expressions, which is uh, external to his essential essence, right? That's what comes from, ex- exudes, expressed out. He answered him on both questions. In one sense that he said, he promised him, I will show you all of my attributes, all of my expressions. Show them all to you. And he also answered the first, uh, second question. You can't know me in the way that you want to know me in my full glory. As you are, as it is. However, he showed him an aspect that through that he'll be able to know the most that any human can know in human form. What Moshe did ultimately end up grasping and achieving in terms of his knowledge of God, nobody before him or after him achieved. So it was of the highest levels. Further, right? So that's the first opening. Now let's get into it. The request of knowing his attributes, right, was in his saying, Moshe says to let me know, teach me, show me, let, make known to me your ways, right? And in that, and I will know you. That's the question. So Harambam stops here. He can't help himself, but stop here. He says, I want you to understand what this means just in the very fact that Moshe asked in the way that he asked. This is a caveat he's making, right? This is a side point, really, that he's making. He's not jumping now into unbagging the question. He says, He says, pay attention, contemplate what, what wondrous points are in this question. In Moshe saying these words, what does it teach you? First thing it tells you, this is important, listen. The first thing that it tells you is that God can be known through his ta'orim, through his expressions, his descriptions, his attributes, whatever you want to call them. We'll see what they are more in a minute. But he can be known through that. It's the first thing I teach you. So Harambam is clearly saying here, the fact that Moshe asked that is teaching all of us. It's not just for me, Moshe. Everybody, if you want to know God, this is the way. Okay? That's number one. You know the ways, you know him to the capacity that you can. First teaching. Second teaching, this is huge as well. And now the continuation of the Pasuk is so that I can find favor in your eyes. Please, I'm asking all of you here and online, pay close attention to the next words. I cannot emphasize them enough. Listen carefully. He says, from the fact that Moshe says, through knowing you, I will then find favor in your eyes. Rambam says, what does that teach us? It teaches us. Okay. It teaches us that one who comes to know God. That is the person 
that finds favor in God's eyes. The one who knows him. Not somebody who only prays and fasts. Notice he says bilbad, right? Though it's not that those things aren't important, but they are important in the context of this goal, not as ends in and of themselves. So it doesn't matter how religious a person is. You don't know God. You have not found favor in his eyes. And Rambam is emphatic about that. And he says, we learned that from the Pasuk. And that's why you have a Pasuk. Take a look at the end. I'm not going to put it up. I could put it up on the end. I, I threw this in at the end because it's important to recognize that it is entirely possible to be engaged in Torah and religious life and not find favor in God's eyes. And he says, it's one of the most powerful Pesukim in Sefer Yirmiyah. Kadosh Baruch Hu is talking through Yirmiyah. He says, The Kohanim, the priests, they don't ask where I am. They're not interested at all in where I am and what, and what, what, and anything about me. And the people who are holding Torah, notice it says, they're holding Torah. They know the Torah. They're holding Torah. They're monopolizing Torah. They've got authority over the Torah. They don't know me. That's a very powerful statement to Yirmiyahu. Because Kadosh Baruch Hu is saying, it is entirely possible for people to hold Torah and not know me. And the only way to know me and find favor in my eyes is through the Te'arim, right? through the Drachim. Back to the Moreh. To the Moreh. So he says, Anyone who knows God, that is the one that HaKadosh Baruch Hu desires. Of course, because this is about love, isn't it? We've already established that, that to know him is to love him. And this is all ultimately a question of loving connection. That's what it was with Abraham Abiru. That's what it's meant to be with us. And the whole birit is based on that. A person who does not have full knowledge or does or has faulty knowledge, yeah. That person is rejected and kept at bay. Who is not going to mechanically engage with people when there's not a genuine desire for love and connection? What are you going to use me for your purposes? You're going to push my buttons, manipulate me? Is that what you want? I'm, I'm sorry, I don't do that. God's not codependent. God will keep you at bay, and he has no problems with that. So he says, and this is not an on-off thing. There's range. To the degree that a person knows, a person is close. To the degree that a person doesn't know or is not aware, a person is not close. But it's all about the knowledge. Rabban writes this very strongly and explicitly at the end of Luchot Shuban, the 10th Perik. He says, Kefi ha'ahaba, as one knows, is the love and the closeness and so on. And all his works in tandem. Then he says, Kvar Harag Matarata He goes, look, I veered off a bit from the goal of this particular Perik, but I thought it was important to mention that. You know, we'll come back now to the Now, Kashir Bikeshi when he, when Moshe asked to know these attributes of God, he was also asking for forgiveness for the people over there. And he was resp- he got answered for the for the forgiveness. He, the people were forgiven. 
based on Akadosh Baruch Hu's, uh, based on Moshe's request. Then he asked these questions. So once he saw Akadosh Hu forgave, there was a closeness, there was a return to intimacy and connection. Moshe asked these questions because he found that it was an Ayatratzon for these questions. He then said, He said, I want to take a step further and I want to know your glory. To that, Akadosh Baruch Hu says, Right? So let's look first at the first question and how he was answered the first question. What did Akadosh Baruch Hu answer to that question? Kadosh Baruch Hu says, Moshe, I will teach you my dirachim. You know what I'm going to do? I'm telling you what I'm going to do, Moshe. I am going to bring all of my good and pass it before you, before, before your face, in front of you. I'm going to pass it all before you. Says Harambam, Okay, so this is getting very serious because this is further an indication of what it is to know God. We learn from the question what it is to know God. Of course, we're going to learn from the response what it is to know God even more, right? So HaKadosh was saying, yes, you can know me through my dirachim. Yes, you will find favor in my eyes. And I'm going to do this in order to be able to show you my dirachim. I'm going to ma'avir kol Harambam has a phenomenal insight into this. So elegant, so simple, so powerful and groundbreaking at the same time. He says, what is kol tuvi? What is that? I mean, if we know that, then we get what HaKadosh Hu is doing. He says, ani avir kol tuvi. What is kol tuvi? If I don't know what that is, I don't know what anything is. I have to know what that is in order to be able to understand it all, what's going on in this particular parasha. Says Harambam, very simple. Aval umro kol tuvi. The fact he says kol tuvi, what it was, it was a hinting to everything that ever created. In that, it says in the Pasuk, Kol Tov, obviously, is everything that Kadosh Ruch created. It says, it's all my good. You hear this? How elegant. And how beautiful. And how powerful. So for Moshe Rabbeinu, however it was it was presented to him, HaKadosh Baruch Hu presented him the entire matrix of creation. Why do I say matrix? Because that's what Harambam says. He uses that word in more words. But that's essentially what he says. He says, what did he show him? He says, Kavanati. What I mean to say by that is, he presented them to him so that he should know their nature, right? And their contextual reality. means their interconnections with each other. That's a matrix, right? He showed Moshe the matrix of creation. So he didn't just show him details and data. He showed him the contextual, the full context not, not narrow context, the full contextual experience of the whole of creation. Whatever it is that that means for Moshe, I mean, you can imagine that it's quite experiential because when you start to try and parse this, good luck, right? That's the kind of thing that the Achamim say, you know, if the whole heavens was parchment and all of the trees were quills and all of the oceans was ink, I wouldn't be able to write to you. That's their way of saying that this is not definable in data points, right? It's, a, it's an experiential thing. 
And that's what he does to Moshe. But what it tells you is that he's showing Moshe creation. He's showing Moshe his full output, his full creative output, the whole matrix of his creative output. You hear this? You can't get out of it. I mean, it's an unbelievable presentation. There's no holes in this. So he says, That's why Kadosh Baruch Hu says later about Moshe Rabbeinu, he's faithful in all my house. What's the house? My creation. He knows, like no one else knows, the whole of my world, my universe, an understanding that is sturdy, upstanding, and strong. It's unmovable, right? Right, Because I experiences, knowledge, you know, and so on, understanding that is not well-founded, that isn't that isn't uh, stable, right? Is just that it's not stable. It's faulty. It's easily kicked aside. So what have you learned from this? You can underline this because you can't because you're looking at it on your phones and you're not able to uh, reinforce the line. But this is the line to reinforce. He says what we find from this in no uncertain terms is knowing those things, those deeds, those creations of God they themselves are his expressions. Do you understand? He's not saying that knowing those things are ways to understand his expressions. They are the expressions. The world is an expression of God. That's what he's saying. And through them, he's known, right? It's the only way you can know him, but how you know him is whatever it is that he's expressed. So it's the same way. Do I feel like I know Harambam? I feel like I know him a great deal to whatever degree I can, through what everything, his entire output in the world. I've never met him before. He died a long time ago, uh, but I hear his voice in my head. To whatever degree, whatever degree it is, right? Obviously, I don't know Harambam. Whatever degree it is that I know. So I want to stop here and I want to say something about this. Because if this is true, to not study God's world is to run away from him. It's not just we put up with it. It's not just we have to so that we can kind of get some knowledge down. Or nonsense. Right? Oh, we got to learn about the world. So if we have some heretics come our way, we'll have some kind of uh, artillery to be able to answer them. with, Right? Of course, there is a requirement. I'm not casting any aspersions on the Ma'amar Hazal, right? What it says in Pirkei Avot, of course, yeah, I know that. But that's not the reason why to study the world. It may be a reason. The reason to study the world is because you have an obligation to know God and love God. We all do. And that's why you do it. And to not do that is to run away from him. Is to not be able to bear to look at him is to not be able to stand him in all honesty. That's what it is. And to fail to recognize that is a tremendous failure. If the ultimate goal of our lives is to know him, and this is the way to know him, in no uncertain terms. Not only are the expressions that, but his actions as well are that, which are two things, right? In other words, they're, 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 there's more than just the actual structural output of the universe. It's also how he acts in the universe. 
And that is shown as well by These are things that are expressive in terms of his actions. He then speaks about those things. It's important to recognize over here, and this is a mistake that a lot of people make. When they say, look at God's actions or attributes, they think, look at what it is that he does in the world. But the world is a stage. You know, it's, it's utilitarian. It's there in order to be able to set a, an environment in which God can act in the world. Don't pay so much attention to that. Pay more attention to what it is that he's doing in the world. And that is a terrible mistake. You may not be able to learn anything from, uh, you know, the structure of a star in terms of your midot or your, you know, uh, your, your uh, what you call it, your, your, att- your own attributes, right? How it is that you behave in, the, in terms of your character. But the more that you know about those things, you know about the nature of reality. And the more you know about the nature of reality, you know about the one who brought it into being. Does that make sense? Do you hear that? The world itself, the universe itself, is not an arbitrary stage in which God acts. The world itself is an expression of God. And I'm going to say another thing here. So people say, oh, great, so then I'll study science. But not so much literature and music and art and, you know, those kinds of things. My contention to that is, why not? Why is it okay to study the natural structure of the universe, but not the entities that populate that universe, or at least this particular planet on the universe? I mean, they're just certainly the most interesting creations of God, and also the most prolific, and also the most diverse. Stars are really simple and cheap. They're a bunch of hydrogen bombs. We could probably recreate those in some kind of small sense. Try doing humans on your own, right? Not where you just follow the instructions, you know, and talk about putting one together from scratch. Try to match that diversity with only like a couple eyes and nose and a mouth, you know? No, that we shouldn't study. The brains that animate those human beings. Are those not astonishing creations? You know, the human brain, the most complex structure in the known universe by many orders of magnitude, that should not be. They're writing their own notes. Right? For the whole class. Thank you. Yes, structure, precisely. (laughs) Do you hear? I shouldn't study the human minds, the various outputs of those human minds, even when they are faulty, do I not need to know about the poisons and toxins in the world as part of the nature of reality itself as well? And therefore the crazy minds and the, yeah, sometimes you have to be very careful about looking into the black hole because it'll look back at you as they say, fine. It doesn't mean that it shouldn't be without yira, right? The reverence that we're talking about. And that's why Harambam couples reverence always with the love. Yes, 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 all of that. But make no mistake where the source of the knowledge of God is. Where you get it. I want to skip down.
וזה היה תכלית מטרתו, שאלתו כי לסוף הלשון ודעך למען ימצאכם בעיניך וראה כי עמך הגוי הזה. שאני צריך להנהיגם בפעולות אלך בהם בעקבות פעוליך בהנהגתם. So what he says to הקדוש ברוך הוא is because I do need to know your ways, I need to know how you act, right? which gets to be very complicated because one of the problems with the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu acts, and when I say problem, I'm borrowing the term, is that God is not governed by laws and rules. So it's almost what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying to him, I need you to follow some rules and then tell me what the rules are. How do you act? Because I need to run this people. And if I have to lead this people, I have to know where you are. And if I'm going to run, lead, lead them, then I have to know how you are. So can you help me with that? And so on and so forth, right? I, I, you're going to act in these ways and if you speak these things and you, know, you bring these things out and so on, in whatever ways that they have. So Moshe Rabbeinu needed to be able to bring Bnei Israel into their goals. And their goals was to be able to know God. And if he was going to do that, he needed to know God, to know how to lead them towards that. So, that is the very ethos of the Habura, but the Habura, of course, is only coming from an ethos that is several thousand years old, manifest in generation after generation by our ancestors. And this is what they knew. Their reverence was for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And so they were careful that it didn't become some kind of personal... Uh, subjective, self-serving endeavor, but rather one goal, to know God. But what our ancestors knew, and when I say that, I mean those that are essentially the spiritual uh, progenitors, the spiritual forebears of the Habura, and those who are, you know, of that milieu, and, uh, and limud, and derech, and so on, is that to study the world through the lens of Torah, is to know HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And not only do we not run from it, we run towards it because we recognize that that's our way. And there is no other way. And so everything that we learn will somehow either be forming the lens or helping us know those things. So the Ben Midrash helps us to be able to have the lens to a tremendous degree. It helps us to be able to know Torah, to give us a framework through which we can look at this world and study this world and come to know HaGadosh Baruch Hu. It will help us understand the nature of the Brit, the covenant. It will help us understand the Lashon, the language of Torah, in various ways. It will help us to understand the Mikra itself and the Torah Shabbat Peh and how does it manage that and, and integrate that into a way of our thought and our, our approach to being able to know HaGadosh Baruch Hu through his Derachim. And Hanambam is our captain. I say that in no uncertain terms. Of course, we like the Andalusia, and there are many who are like him, but he's the captain. And he was always who we will go back to. He's our guide. Because there was, uh, yeah, he was remarkable. He was one of those amazing humans that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created. So there's much that can be unpacked in all that we've said. There is much more detail that I haven't mentioned, of course, but we are at the hour and we will end here. And uh, I hope that all of that comes from this forward for all of the teachers and the courses and classes and so on. It will help to be able to bring this out into its uh, 
bit by bit unpack. Yes? It's up to you and yeah. it's up to them. I don't know, uh, you know I, I'm concerned about social contracts. So you tell me, I don't wanna breach the contract. So one cannot know God by learning Torah alone? It's not enough. You can't just learn Torah and not engage in a quality of work. You can have a lens through Torah. You can have a knowledge, a great deal of Torah, uh, through Torah about the, the framework of how it is that I engage with this, plus how it is that I serve. Right? I mean, the mitzvot are how I serve a Kadosh how my Oved a Kadosh But to know him, it requires a knowledge of the world, without question. Any other questions? Please put it in the chat. Two more questions. Is there such thing as learning the world too much? No. There's only such thing as learning the world wrong. There's no such thing as too much. It's only how, not how much. Ryan, I see your hand is raised. Go ahead and ask. Or not. Anybody else? One more question. I've got one. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so far, in what we saw in the Rambam, he didn't mention Torah at all as, as a lens, didn't in order to love Hashem, Torah wasn't mentioned at all as being relevant in what we've seen so far. Or have I missed it? So take a look at the piece that I skipped, Bereshit Rabbah. This is a Midrash, Hachamim, which presents this point. Rabbi Oshaya Rabbah, Patah ve'ayetz lo'amon ve'ayetz yom, yom. It's a pasuk in Misleh. I shall be by him in Amon. The Hachamim say, what does this word Amon mean? So they don't ask the word. They say, Amon, Uman. The word Amon should be Rahman, as in terms of an artisan. And what is that referring to? The Torah is speaking in that Pasuk, they say. The Torah is saying that I was its law, etzel HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in Uman. I was an artisan. I was like a, a tool, like a creative tool in the hand of the creator. In what way? I was his creative tool. It's normal that in human endeavors, when a king wants to build a palace, and he doesn't just take you know whatever it is that he had the vision in his head and start putting bricks down. There is planning, right, that goes on for this. Right, he gets an architect. In order to be able to help him to put this together. How man in the architect he doesn't take it from his brain and just put it out. He writes sketches. He has planning. He has pads and, and blueprints and so on that he, he puts out first, and from those builds the building. He's got to know how to be able to situate the rooms, you know, in relation to each other, the pipes, the plumbing, the whole thing. He's got to make sure that he builds it so it all works in tandem together. That's how Kadosh looked at the Torah and he used the Torah as a blueprint for the world. What is that saying? Obviously, God's not physical. He doesn't have blueprints. It's not, right? What, what is it saying? 
What it's saying is, is that the, the creation of the world is emergent from whatever it is that we recognize as being a framework of Torah. It's the way the Hachamim are teaching it to us. So that means that I should be able to, through the study of Torah, understand the world in the way that the architect and the hiring agent of the architect meant for it to be used and understood. Does that help? There's more there. This is one particular uh, one particular source. You see? Thank you. It's why the Torah is called the Kelihemda, like it says in Prakabot. It's a vessel. It's a precious vessel, but it's a vessel nonetheless. Okay? We have Minyan in here? We do, right? I'll call right into Arbit. Yeah, so I'm going to kindly ask if the ladies want to just step behind the door to Arbit. Thank 